Hi, and welcome to Bible study. Today, we're going to be talking about the finished work of Christ, because I feel like it is a fundamental part of our walk with God and a, and on, a fundamental understanding that we need to have as Christians. Because once we understand the finished work of Christ, once we understand what it means for us, then it will help us to live our lives and to position our lives in such a way that we we operate from the place that Christ has done everything. And the scripture we're going to use to get started is found in the book of John, John chapter 19. John 19, and we're going to be reading verses 28 to 30. And it says, this is the title of that section section is actually called and um, the death of Jesus John 19 verses 28 to 30 and I'm reading it in the New Living Translation it said Jesus knew that his mission was now finished and to fulfill scripture he said I am thirsty a jar of sour wine was sitting there so they soaked a sponge in it put it on a high sub branch and held it up to his lips when jesus had tasted it he said it is finished then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit if you read it in another translation if you read it for example in the amplified that's john 19 verse 28 to 13, the Amplified, it says the same thing. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said in fulfillment of the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was placed there. So they put a sponge soaked in the sour wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and voluntarily gave up his spirit. And I remember just even thinking of that last line where it says he bowed his head and voluntarily gave up his spirit. I remember when I used to live in Brighton, I used to go to a church and I there was a young guy there who opened my eyes to this scripture. I had never seen it before that point in time where he was talking. And this is just an aside, but just telling you the power that we have as believers. He said that, you know, that God opened his eyes to the scripture to see that a believer can give up his spirit because the bible tells us as jesus is so are we in this world and the bible tells us in john 19 verse verse verses um 20 30 but specifically verse 30 that he bowed his head and voluntarily gave up his spirit they didn't take his spirit from him he was the one that gave it up meaning that a believer has it within them to give up his spirit a believer has it within them to know what if they have finished their assignment because for example john the baptist if you read the earlier chapters of the book of john john the baptist is talking about jesus and he says that the reason why he's called john the baptist is because he came to announce the messiah and that he had been told by god that the messiah is the one on whom when he baptizes that person, the one on whom the spirit of God rests in a bodily form. When that job was done, his job was done. And you know, when your job is done, when your time is done, you can give up your spirit. But that's not the essence of today's Bible study. But that was just something that came out 
of that particular scripture that I thought I should highlight even to show us the power that we have as believers, that we are in control a lot more than we give ourselves credit for. But anyway, this Bible study is focused on the finished work of Christ. And the reason being that over time, especially in recent years, I've been seeing more and more that believers don't know what's the finished work of Christ entails for them. And trust me, as a believer who is also growing, I have, I have been in this position and I continue to learn what I have in Christ. There is a reason why Jesus said it is finished. You know why? Because when Jesus came, he actually said to people, and I'm going to read, some, if, I'm going to read quite a few scriptures for us tonight because and I would like you to note down those scriptures so you can so you can go and sit with them and fully understand and grasp what Christ has done for you because when you know what Christ has done for you you live different you act different you show up different in the world and you know one of the things that Jesus kept saying was that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So it's, and you know, it's something that has stayed in my mind. Let's read Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five, verse 17, Matthew five, verse 17. If you understand, let me go back a second. In the book of Genesis, God created man. When he created man, there was this perfect world. A perfect world where there was no sin, where there was no, where there were no issues. Man and God had this close, intimate relationship. The Bible tells us that God used to come down and walk with man in the Garden of Eden. And they would walk together. And as they were walking together, they would talk, you know, in our in our um, current lingo. I'm from Nigeria. And in our parlance, we'll say they would gist. So they were people that they kind of, got, they got on well. They had this beautiful relationship. Then in Genesis 3, there was a break in that relationship as a result of disobedience because God had given them an instruction and said to the man and the woman, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you have. This is what I have made available to you. And then the devil comes because he's angry with that. How can God <laughs> create man? And then give man all this authority. So he comes and he messes it up. Anyways, God then begins the process of returning man to that original state, that inertia state, that perfect state, that, you know, um, that state of man and God were in this close, intimate relationship. God sets in order because when you read the book of Genesis chapter three, and I'm just going to paraphrase, God talks about how the the seed of the woman would bruise the heel of the servant or the heel of the devil, the, the head of the devil, and that the heel of the, the woman's, the, the, the heel of the seed of the woman would bruise the, basically that the seed of the woman would destroy the enemy. Um, and God now starts this process. He's looking for, you know, who's he going to use? 
people can he use to begin this process? And then he meets a man called Abraham and he starts this conversation with Abraham. He tells Abraham, you come, let's have a relationship. Abraham begins to walk with God. And as he is walking with God, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous. So we then start learning that there are people on the earth before the law was given that are righteous. Abraham being one of them. Um, and then, you know, the journey continues. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has um, Esau and Jacob. Jacob is the one who, uh, to whom the line of God's promise continues. God, God gave Abraham certain promises. He told him that he was going to be the father of many nations. Many nations is not just the people of Israel, but also the Gentiles. That's you and I. Anyways, there's a lineage going on. And then you get to the children of Israel. They go into um, they go into slavery. God delivers them from slavery. And as he's taking them out, an entire nation now filled with millions and millions of people, as he's taking them out, he tells them that for you to live the way that I want, here are some rules that you should follow. And so we know if you if you if you're familiar with your Bible, you will know about the Ten Commandments, which is found in the book of Exodus. And as a and as part and parcel of those Ten Commandments, there are all these laws, all these rules that they have to follow. And the essence of following the law is so that they can be to some extent, and I use the word to some extent very gently, to some extent, we turn to that original state in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 that God created. Um and then Jesus comes. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, the people are used to living out this law. And that's what they use for making themselves right with God. Although God says this thing's not, and I will go into a bit of it because today's Bible study is going to be slightly longer than normal because I want us to settle on some things tonight regarding the finished work of Christ. One of the main things that happened was that this law that was given was a temporary stopgap until the seed that God referred to in Genesis chapter 3, until that seed showed up on the earth and then put the devil out of commission once and for all. We then get to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, verses, verse 17. Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus says, he's been talking, he's done the Beatitudes, all of that. He's told told them about being salt and light. And then we get to a teaching about the law. And the key verse here is verse 17. It says, don't misunderstand why I have come. Jesus is talking. So depending on the Bible you have, the words are written in red letter, meaning they're the words of Jesus. It says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets because they didn't just have the law. That's all these rules and regulations, but they also had prophets. They had um, Zechariah, they, the, the book of Zechariah. They had the book of Habakkuk. They, they had the book of Amos. They had the book of Ezekiel. They had all these prophets who, you know, the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah that kept talking about different things that related to the, the Israelites and God. 
Um, so Jesus is now saying that I, in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5, I'm reading it in the New Living Translation. It says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. That word accomplish is important because what he's saying is I didn't come to set them aside. I just came to do what they could not do. Because they had a purpose and the purpose was for alignment. And now I have come to do that work. So when Jesus said in John chapter 19, verse 28 to 30, that we read, when he said it is finished, he said, I have done everything that I was sent to do. And when we think of that, when we begin to process what that means for us, it means a lot for us. For one we are no longer bound to the law. We are no longer bound to the law. But before we get there, let's even take a step back and look at some of the easiest things, some of the, like the very first thing, almost like the very first step. Let's look at the very first step that happens for us in Christ. The very first step is salvation. If you read, if you open to John chapter John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. John chapter 3, it's quite a popular scripture in the, in the church. John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. And it says, for this is how God loved the world, not just Christians, the world, meaning everybody has this available to them. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. When God, when that break of relationship and that's, and that issue happened in Genesis chapter three. Judgment, judgment was automatically released. So everybody that was born after that was born under judgment. Then God said, no, there's a way of escape from this judgment. It's called Jesus. That's the way of escape. It says that they were all, if you read it in the Passion Translation, the same John chapter three, verse 16, to 18 it says for here is the way god loves the world he gave his only unique son as a gift so now everyone who believes in him will never perish but experience everlasting life god did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world but to be its savior and rescued so now there is no longer any condemnation for those who believe in him. But the unbeliever already lives under condemnation because they do not believe in the name of the only son of God. If you became a believer, you are no longer condemned. That's one of the things that happened when Jesus died, went into the grave and rose again. Because our salvation and the work that Jesus did is not just that he died is that he died. The Bible tells us that he went into hell, took back the keys of authority, and then rose again. You know, that's why he could give authority to the disciples and say to them, look, I'm not just giving you authority, but everybody else that believes in me gets authority. 
that's one of the blessings of the finished work of Christ. That's one of the gifts that we were given, that we were given that, that gift. Not only did he give us that gift, not only did we get eternal salvation, what else did we get? Because there are many things that we got when we, when we come into Christ, when we believe in him. There are many things that we get. And we don't get them by our behavior. We don't get them by the, how many hours we pray. There's nothing wrong with praying extended periods of time. But it's not those things that qualify us. It's not those things that, that, that for example, get us to heaven. It's not those things. The Bible tells us that the just, that the ones who now believe in God, shall live by faith. But we'll get to the, we'll get to some of those scriptures. The other thing that what did Jesus also give us as believers? He gave us the Holy Spirit. John chapter fourteen verse twenty six. John fourteen verse twenty six. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's comforting them because he's now talking about the fact that he's not going to always be there. And then he says to them in verse twenty six that. In John 14, verse 26, I'm going to read it in the NIV. It says, But the advocates, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That there's somebody going to come in my name. His name is the Holy Spirit. His name is Advocate. In the Amplified, I think, or in the Amplified Classic, it then begins to tell you that he's not just the Holy Spirit. He's the helper. He's the teacher. He's standby. He's comforter. He's counselor. He's all these, he's all these to us. When we became born again, we got the Holy Spirit. And you know, people will say, yes, I have the Holy Spirit, but I don't speak in tongues. You can have the Holy Spirit, but if you don't believe that he's within you, and then if you, don't, if you doubt that you can speak in tongues, you will struggle to speak in tongues. But it is a gift that we've all been given. It is something that we have as believers. So what did we get? We got the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, in the Amplified, it says, but the helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, in my place, to represent me and act on my behalf. Jesus was like, look, I can't stay here forever. I have a job to do. And there's something that needs to happen, but I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you somebody else. He's going to be like me. He's going to take my place. He's basically like having me, but instead of you consistently, because I was listening to a message this week where he was talking about, the preacher was talking about, you know, sometimes we pray and we're like, Jesus, I just want to see you. I just want you to be in front of me so that I can ask you all these questions. And, you know, you can give me the answers. And the Holy Spirit inside of him was like, but Jesus is here. I am here. <laughs> because Jesus, he actually told his disciples, if you read further up, he actually told, Jesus told his disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away. It is to your advantage so that that way, that what I'm giving you, the Holy Spirit I'm giving you is an advantage. And you know, for me, when I read that again, it sort of wrecked me thinking, because so, sometimes I have desired to see Jesus. I'll be honest, there are moments when I've thought, I just want to see Jesus. I just want him here. You know, I don't want to be able to say, Jesus, what do I need to do here? And the Holy Spirit is like, I'm here. That's my job. That's my job. I'm here to help you. I'm here to give you an answer to that question. 
we have that. That's one of the gifts we've been given. That's one of the gifts we've been given. What else did we get as, a, as part of this finished work of Christ? What else did we get? We got a new nature. And this one, many of us struggle with this one. We got a new nature. Please open to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 18. And I'm reading it in the New Living Translation. This means, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Remember what I said earlier. I said that when Christ came, he came to restore us back to the original design that God showed us in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 1 and 2. The Bible tells us in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself, meaning that there was a separation from him. And then in Christ, he brought us back into alignment, brought us back into himself, brought us back into that place that we were originally supposed to be that was lost when man fell in Genesis chapter 3. But verse 17 is key. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone that confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior, anyone that is born again, has become a new person. It's not a... Oh, they just, you know, they just, you know, sometimes when we sing some songs, they kind of don't help. You know, you'll say, oh, he washed you and washed your sins, washed you as white as snow. He literally removed the old person and put a new person there. He removed the old person and put a new person there. He says the old life is gone. A new life has begun. You have a new life in Christ. When you came into Christ, when you became born again. You, you are given a new life in Christ Jesus. It's not a life. You know, some people say things to me, and we're going to come to it in a second. People say things like, oh, well, but in my family, they have all these patterns. You are a new person. Those things don't apply to you anymore. Those things only apply to the old person. When you came into Christ, you became a new person. How do we know this? Let's continue reading the word of God. Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verse 18 to 8, verse 8 to 15, I apologize. Verse 8 to 15 says, don't let, I'm reading the New Living Translation, and I'm trying to use the NLT particularly just for the simplicity of the language. I don't want to use King James where, you know, the language is like, it's old English, it can be confusing. I'm using this as, as much as possible, a simple version of the Bible. And, you know, this is even... If I just pause for a moment here and say, if you're struggling to read the Bible, if you're struggling and saying, oh, well, I have to read it in King James. I have to, you know, because King James is the one I understand. But I, I, I think for the sake of even just taking in enough of the word, read it in a simple translation. Read it in the New Living Translation. Read it in the ESV. Read it in the um, 
I think it's the Christ Common English Bible or something like that, the CEB. Read it in the International Children's Bible. They've written that one in the language that children can understand. Like, don't say, oh, well, I'm 30, I'm 40, I'm 50. I need to read this thing and, you know, sound very, very, I don't know, serious. No, you want to understand what you're reading. So read it in a simple version. And I'm deliberately choosing simple versions so we can hear what is being said. It says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 to 15, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. All your sins have been forgiven. Your sins are not waiting to be forgiven. All your sins have been forgiven. I know this one messes with people. All your sins have been forgiven. God isn't judging you for your sins. You, When you became born again, God does not see you with sin. I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that if you keep reading further down, it says, I believe, it's, it, I think it's verse 21 in 2 Corinthians, it's right at the end. It says, you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have been made righteous. When God sees you, he doesn't see sin. He sees righteousness. He sees Jesus Christ. He sees a seal. The seal of the Holy Spirit is on you. There is a document. The Holy Spirit is the seal. It's like a legal document. And I'm not saying he is an it. He's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. But he's like a legal document that covers you, that says you are his. Meaning you now are back to having his nature. Because Genesis 1.26 tells us that God made man in his image and in his likeness. Not just in his image. He didn't just create man, the man that we see. He made him such that he had God's nature. When this now happened, it says you were dead. Verse 13 of Colossians chapter 2. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. You know, Jesus, when Jesus died, he did such a work that he disarmed spiritual powers. So when you keep panicking, saying, oh, somebody is making enchantments against me. This one is very popular in the African culture. Somebody is making enchantments against me. Oh, I can't go to that place because they have a shrine and an altar. You don't know who you carry. You don't know who you are. If you know who you are, then you will know that the one inside of you has disarmed these things. They do not count. 
Paul actually says, I need to go and find the scripture. I might find it and put it in the show notes. But Paul actually says, idols are nothing. Meaning idols are nothing. Like, we're so scared of idols. And Paul is saying they actually are nothing. They are nothing made by human hands. Yes, they might be supported by demonic forces. But the Bible tells us in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them. He has victory over them. Then he now sits inside of you. Guess what? You have victory too. The, the Bible tells us in the book of, I believe it's either First John chapter, I think it's First John 4, where it tells us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. There's a reason why he is greater. Because he has won. Because there is victory. He says he did a public, in one version, he says he made a public spectacle of them. You have victory in Christ Jesus. Not only do you have victory, all your sins have been forgiven. You have no sin. You might say, well, but I'm still badly, sometimes I still lie. Sometimes once in a while I still I still things in the office, you know, I take those pens and notepads that they say we should use for work, but I take it to my use it for my personal gain. Yeah. You are, that's why the Bible tells us in Romans 12, verse 2, that do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The essence of renewing is your, your mind is so that you can now align with your true nature. Your true nature is one that has no sin. And when you and then you say, well, then what if I misbehave? What happens then? Repent. What does it mean to repent? To change your mind. That's what the word repentance actually means. It's not just to be sorrowful in heart. It is to actually have a change of thought process. You immediately say, oh, I'm so sorry, God. You know, there are things I do. And I just say, oh, I'm so sorry. Holy Spirit, I'm so sorry. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And then we keep it moving. Because all my sins have been forgiven. I have no sin. You have no sin. That's what the Bible tells us. So not only that, it then if we go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter, Romans chapter 8, verse 3. If you read even from verse 1, it says, so now, so now, I'm reading the Passion Translation. So now, the case is closed. If you go to back, back to verse 7, he's talking about, oh, there's this tussle between my sin nature, my new nature, all of that. Then he now comes to verse chapter 8, and it says, it says in verse 1 of Romans chapter 8, it says, so now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. For the law of the spirit of life flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated us from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the law was limited by the weakness of human nature. He gave us the law of the spirit of life. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is such that when, because Jesus has, people say, well, but shouldn't we tell people that they should not, they should not commit adultery. They should not fornicate. They should not covet. Guess what? The law of the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit inside of you will literally tell you 
you shouldn't do that. If you literally do this thing properly, he will say to you, don't do this. He will say, Bumi, don't do that. That's not right. And immediately he says it because he's the spirit at work in me. Because he's the spirit at work in me. It is my responsibility to then say, okay, I'm not doing that again. You see, many people think that we need to keep making people conscious of their sin. But the only thing that that does is create sin consciousness. It does not create a life of Christ consciousness. Because all you are focused now on is the thing that you did not do well. Whereas the Holy Spirit is like, let's not do that. Let's focus on what Jesus did. Jesus set you free. Jesus has given you grace. You have the grace of God. The power of God is within you. The power is at work within you to do exceedingly abundant. Hey, that's literally why they're like, focus on us. Focus on what Christ has done. Focus on who you are in Christ. The reason why Paul kept writing all these epistles was because he wanted to move their gaze from the law, the law of Moses, and put it onto the new thing that they now had, this new life that they had in Christ Jesus. Jesus said in John 10 verse 10, these are one of the things that you get. He said that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That they might have Zoe, a perfect life. You might be like, but my life is not sounding like what you are talking about. That's why you read the word of God to daily renew your mind, to daily renew your thoughts, to daily keep bringing your mind into what is now yours in Christ Jesus. That's why we do these things. What else do we get? Oh, I love one of the books I love in the Bible is Ephesians chapter two. It is such a great book. One of the best epistles, because the Ephesian, the church in Ephesus was the most mature church. Of all the letters that Paul wrote, some of the best letters he wrote, one of the best letters he wrote, if not the best, as far as I'm concerned, and by quite a few you know, Bible scholars, is the book of Ephesians. Because he was talking to a mature church. He wasn't talking to a church that he didn't have to write two letters, like he wrote to the, book, the church in, in Corinth, that he was writing long story, multiple chapters. Anyways, that's just by the way. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verses, I'll read from verse 1 to 10, but the key part is in the lower part, but let's read. Once, the chapter starts off with made alive with Christ. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Excuse me. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. Because remember that we're in union with Christ Jesus. When we believe in him, we, we enter into union with him. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. 
as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Verse 8 is where I'm going to. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Salvation is a belief. It is not a doing. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. What's the good thing he planned for us long ago? Read Genesis 1.28. That's the good thing he planned for us long ago. When, when, when the fall happened, when things got messed up in Genesis 3, God was like, no, I need to bring them back to this original thing. So right now, your responsibility as a believer is to go and sit and know who you are in Christ Jesus and the work that God created for you to do long ago. He gave you, he said he, 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 he created man, he blessed him. Then he said to the man, be fruitful, multiply, inhabit the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. That's the good thing that God created, that God prepared for us, that he planned for us long ago. But something you must remember, this, the, the reason why we're having this conversation, and I said today is a slightly longer Bible study, because there are some key things that you need to settle in your heart so that you are not blown by every wave of doctrine. This past week, I've been seeing things like, oh, should we pay first fruit? Should we not pay first fruit? Maybe we should we'll do a particular Bible study on giving. Because in the New Testament, under this new covenant, where Jesus is our mediator, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Jesus is our mediator the mediator of a new covenant in this new covenant we don't give anything under compulsion we give it because of the thing that we have received he says freely you have received freely give we don't give we don't give under pressure we don't give according to the law sin offering and um, tithe we we, we 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 when we tithe we tithe with a heart of joy the bible says that we we give cheerfully second corinthians chapter 9 we give cheerfully. We give with joy in our hearts, saying, my goodness, look at the life I now have in you. What do you want to take from me? I'm happy to give it to you. That's the posture that we take. That's what he did when he died on the cross for us. He gave us this position that we can now just say, oh, my goodness. Oh. You know, when you love somebody, you go out of your way to do things for them. When you think of what somebody has done for you, you, are, you go out of your way to do things, to show them that you are happy with them. But here, I just thought, let me pause here. Because if you, if you read I'm, I'm in the community that I have, we're going to read the book of Ephesians because it is such a beautiful book. It has some prayers in there that you just think to yourself, this is what we should be praying for. Not some of the things that we pray for praying for enemies to die, all that nonsense. We're in 2024, please stop it. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Remember John 3, 16 said, anyone who believes in Christ is a new person. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him, he didn't say, he didn't put a caveat on it. He said, if anybody believes in Jesus, they have eternal life. God now says that. Not only did he do that, he said when we were united with Christ, he now raised us along with Christ. Because when Christ died, we died. Our na old nature died. When Christ was raised anew and given a new body, we were raised anew with Christ. 
And he says that we are seated with him in heavenly places. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's why when people say, I don't want to miss heaven. And you ask them, are you born again? Yes. You can't miss heaven. You're already in heaven. That's what Ephesians 2 tells us. Verse 6 says, and seated us off, us the believers, seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Some of us should walk around with our heads held high, saying, I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. There's a reason why I make that declaration a lot. Because I, it's a reminder to myself so that when life throws things at me, I'll say, no, 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 no. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above principalities and powers, far above all the nonsense in this world. I don't operate from this realm. I have to tell myself consciously because that's who I am. That's what we've been given in Christ Jesus. Not only have we been renewed, the Bible tells us, if we read the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. And I'm reading it in the Amplified. For all who depend on the law, seeking justification, back to that, oh, we need to do the Ten Commandments. You're not supposed to be following the Ten Commandments. We, may, we need to do a Bible study about the law. For all who depend on the law, seeking justification and salvation by obedience to the law and the observance of rituals. Your salvation, I just said from Ephesians 2, is a gift. It's a free gift from God. A gift that you get when you believe, not by what you do. That's what he now comes to, to the church and he's talking to the Galatians and he says to them, for all who depend on the law, verse 10, seeking justification and salvation by obedience to the law and the observance and rich of of rituals are under a curse for it is written cursed condemned to destruction is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law so as to practice them do you know i don't know how many laws there are like 600 and something laws the bible says if you miss one you missed everything that's why it says cursed condemned to destruction is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law so as to practice them. If you don't do everything, you have missed it. You are cursed. But he now says in verse 11, now it is clear that no one is justified. That is declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty and placed in right standing before God by the law. For the righteous, the just, the upright shall live by faith. But the law does not rest on or require faith. It has nothing to do with faith. But instead, the law says, he who practices them, the things prescribed by the law shall live by them instead of by faith. Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs, crucified on a cross. Christ has redeemed you from the curses that are attached to the law. All the curses. When they were reading Deuteronomy, when you read Deuteronomy, you see all the different things that can potentially go wrong if you don't follow what was said in the law. You know that Christ did us a great service <laughs> and a great, a great service by dying for us, by freeing us from curses. You are free free from every generational pattern. 
every curse, every ancestral altar. You are free from it all. Free. Christ redeemed you from it all. Not only did he free you from that, the Bible, and I've read it already, he freed us from judgment. There's no judgment. There is no judgment. We've read it in various forms in the different scriptures that we've read so far. Not only did he do all these things, but not only that, we can go back to the book of Ephesians. I told you I like the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3 says, blessed and worthy. I'm still reading the Amplified. Blessed and worthy of praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. You are blessed. You're not waiting to be blessed. You're already blessed. Already blessed. It's not coming. It's already here. You're already blessed. The New Living Translation says of Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1 verse 3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. We've been blessed. God has already blessed us. We're not waiting to be blessed. I'm about to shake it. A, a table that the African church is renowned for. If you've been praying and fasting so that God can bless you, Please, you can cancel, you can stop fasting. I'm just saying, because you're already blessed. If all your prayer and fasting was so that God can bless you, please be free. Go and eat, because you're already blessed. I, I'm in the mood today. This Bible study, I'm in the mood today. Because there are many things that we're struggling with as believers that we don't need to struggle with. You are already blessed. Instead, you should be thanking God for the blessings that you have. That's how you begin to receive what you already have. That's how you begin to see it manifest in you. Oh, I thank you because I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I lack for nothing. You know, 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us the same thing. It says in verse 3, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. We have everything. Christ made everything available. That's why when you said it is finished, he was saying, I've done it all. There's nothing missing. There's nothing outstanding that is left. I've done it all. I can die now. I've done it all. It is finished. If you read it in the in the Passion Translation, it says, everything we could ever need for life and godliness. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. What's the glorious manifestation of his goodness? Jesus, his son. Jesus said in John 14, John 14, there are many things we have through the finished work of Christ. John 14, verse 27, it says, 
I leave the gift of peace, the Passion Translation. I leave the gift of peace with you, my peace. Not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, courageous. You have everything. He said, I'm giving you my peace. And my own peace, it literally, it, it repels fear. Don't yield to fear. You have peace. Don't yield to fear. You know, we could go on and on. All the many things that we have in Christ Jesus. But the point of this Bible study is to say that when you come into Christ, many things are available to you. If you read the book of Numbers, I'm not going to go into it, but I'll paraphrase. The book of Numbers, Numbers 23, um, story of Balak and Balaam. There is a line, I believe is verse 23. It says, there is no enchantment against Jacob. There is no divination against Israel. It shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, come and see what God has done. He says there is no enchantment against, no divination. Like there's no curse that can work against, and that's an old covenant. Under an old covenant, they still couldn't curse them because they were God's own. How much more in the new covenant where Christ has died, done, done the deal, finished work, as they say in Nigeria. At least you can't, you can't be living your life in fear. You can't be living a substandard and a subpar life when Christ has given you everything, everything. You have been given everything. Now go and live like it. I pray that as you have heard these words, there is a stirring in your heart to know more, to sit with the scriptures, to see who you are in Christ, to know what you have been given, to know your position in Christ and to live on the earth as one who is filled with the fullness of God by the Holy Spirit. As you have heard these words, they are spirit and they are life unto you. From this point on, you receive courage, you receive boldness and you live the life that God originally intended for you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.